listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. just a minute we'll jump into Luke chapter 9. So if you want to go there with me you can. We'll be looking at the end of Luke chapter 9 and then the first 24 verses of chapter 10. But before we do I want to ask you this question because this is important to us this morning. And the question is this, how are you coming into this morning? So as you're sitting here this morning, what's happening inside your heart and your mind? So before we just jump in and say, okay, let's Let's hear this sermon, let's look at this passage, and let's, on, let's continue on with our day or with our week or with our month or with 2022. I want us to stop and to think about is our lives, like how we're, to, how we're coming into this morning. Maybe for some of you, you're scared. Maybe you're depressed. Uh, maybe you're anxious about something in life. It's okay, just you can hold that in your hand if you want to. Maybe this morning on the way here, your family was fighting. Maybe some of y'all are watching online. You're, you're, you're just struggling to get here this morning. You're, you're scared of something much deeper than an icy road or snow. How are you coming into this morning? And maybe you're just like, man, life is really good. Uh, I know for me, uh, this past week has been really tough. I've had to be a part of three funerals over the course of six days. And then I got a call a couple of days ago. Did a guy who I've been in DNA group with uh, over the past couple of years and uh, who I've mentioned in a sermon once or twice. Uh, I got a call that he was back in the hospital for ongoing um, alcoholism and uh, he passed away on Friday morning. And that's tough. And, and so I'm surrounded by death and the threat of death. And so as I look at a passage this morning that speaks so clearly about rejoicing in Christ. It's really difficult. And maybe some of y'all are there this morning, and I don't want to scoot by that. We just prayed for Matt Duran, a, a great friend. He's been to my house. I've uh, been out to eat with him uh, plenty of times. And, and when I get a text yesterday afternoon that, man, things are not looking good. He's been in the hospital for over two weeks now. He had COVID two weeks prior to that. When I get a text that he's on a ventilator uh, and that it's, they're calling in the family to say their last goodbyes. That just, that rocks your Saturday afternoon. And so maybe some of y'all are there. So whatever that is that you're struggling with, you're like, man, if I could just get over this, get beyond this, you could just hold that right there in your hand. But wherever we are, in the midst of those situations, I want us to be reminded that through that depression, through those difficult situations, through the ones that we can either explain or we can't explain, through those times of, of struggle, when, when the waves seem to be coming one after the other, and we can barely get our heads above just to catch a breath, can we be reminded this morning that Jesus Christ is our rock, and he has given us an anchor in Jesus Christ's finished work on our behalf that sinks even below those shifting sands even below those waves that seem like they're never going to stop. Jesus Christ is our rock. He is our source of joy and of hope this morning. 
So I don't want us to set aside all these things and, oh man, that was a, that was a good sermon. It was encouraging and challenging, but bro, you don't understand what I'm dealing with in my life. No, I, I might. I might. And there's a good chance I, I don't understand your situation. But either way, I know this to be true. That the word of God points us to hope, final hope, eternal hope, no matter life situation, in Christ alone. And so for a minute, I want us to pray again. I mean, how many times are we going to pray today? That's all right. And I want us to ask God specifically to reveal himself to us this morning through his word. And that we would break through all those barriers that maybe that we've built or that are simply there. And may we hear from God's word what he wants to say to us. And so I want you to pray that this morning just for a moment. That the spirit would open your eyes and your heart to what he wants to tell you from God's word this morning. Pray that and then we'll jump into Luke 9. Father, we humble ourselves this morning and we ask that you would be gracious to us, that you would be merciful to us, that you would reveal yourself to us through the power of the Spirit. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Psalm chapter 118, it says this, and I want you to repeat this after me. May this be our prayer. Open my eyes that I might receive. God's wonderful word to me. Amen. So Luke chapter 9, we pick up here and Caleb just read this for us. And so he begins in verse number 51. Uh, and we just saw that this is a turning point in Luke's narrative and he is setting his face. So he begins here. He says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this language of to be taken up, it has multiple meanings. It means first that to be taken up and put on the cross, but also we know that after Jesus was crucified for our sake, that he ascended to where he is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And so this to be taken up, this language actually comes from Isaiah chapter 50. And we're often familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, where it talks about the suffering servant. But leading up to that, we see the, the, the path to the cross that Jesus took. And it says here that Jesus is both going to be victimized and vindicated. Okay, that's what Isaiah 50 talks about. And so he's going to be put on the cross, but then ultimately he's going to be raised to life, to be taken up from the grave and then raised and put up in the heavens. So he's going to be victimized for our sake. But ultimately Jesus Christ is going to be vindicated. Here's what I want to see from this, is that the mission that Jesus has in front of him is the same thing as, uh, that we've seen all throughout so far in the book of Luke. And Jesus has said this a couple of times already. He says, this is my goal. My purpose in coming down here and identifying with you as mankind 
is to fulfill the will of the Father. And that's so that I can go to Jerusalem to be put to death, to be crucified, to be resurrected back to life, to be the conqueror for y'all. So his mission has not changed. His mission has remained the same. And so now he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 50 actually even there talks about how he set his face, and maybe if you have the KJV version, it says like a flint. Like he looked hard at Jerusalem. He said, this is my purpose. And we see throughout the rest of this passage that the purpose of Christ is not just to come and to accomplish this for us, but in the same way that he was sent by the Father, he sends us out. So when we see the mission of God, it's not like the mission of God was finalized with Christ on the cross. No, it's going to be finalized when Christ comes back a second time. And so as we look here, Jesus is saying, this is my mission, but he's also through here going to say, this is your mission as well. The, the mission of God now has a church. We say, hey, this is our mission statement as a church, and that's true, but the mission of God now has a church, and we fall under that. So he says, this is where I'm going. He says, go before me, prepare the way. He's going into, um, into Samaria, and we'll see next week. I think Caleb's preaching on uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan, so we'll talk more about the relationship there. But he says, there are going to be some who may not want you to come into their home. So notice what verse 54 says. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, remember James and John, they're uh, like the wrestlers of Jesus' group here. So when you have James and John here in your purview, they're, you know, I think we think about Jesus and his disciples, and they're just like walking around with these nuclear halos around their head, like we have in the stained glass versions, and they're just like, uh, Jesus, would you like us to do this for you after we do our yoga poses? Would this be? No, James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. So think, these guys are jacked. They're probably walking around just like with these, you know, long tank tops on. They probably have like the tribal tattoos going around their arm. Every now and then one of them just goes, woo, you know, and they're just, you know, spitting straight up into the air. That's James and John. These are not nice dudes. They're walking around ready to kick somebody's tail. And they say, do you want us to call fire down? Now, again, this is an Old Testament reference to 2 Kings chapter 1, where Elijah says, hey, the, the king does not love uh, God, the one true God, the one Yahweh. So Elijah calls down fire twice on the evil king. And so James and John here, so you can read 2 Kings chapter 1. It's very interesting. Elijah's like, I don't want to go serve this bad king with you. Fire, boom, they're done. <laughs> 50 people dead. Same thing happens again. So that's why James and John here are saying, Hey, can we just call down fire in the same way Elijah did? Here's what the disciples all understand. Is that Jesus did not come down the first time to reveal his power and strength. He came down to die for those that he wanted to save. He came down to show his power and sacrifice. Because even think about it, the Samaritans were the enemies here of the Jews. And so Jesus says, I'm not coming down here to demolish them, to bring my kingdom now. He says, my kingdom is one of sacrifice, and I'm going to die for them. So judgment is coming, and it's going to be terrible. But here's what we see in these first several verses, that today our job is to announce the good news of escape. That's what Jesus, that's why he came the first time, was to announce this good news of escape so some folks are like, well, do we not talk about the law? Do we not talk about judgment? Yes, absolutely you do. But we don't end there. We must say, man, this is coming. This is bad news. You're a sinner. You're pursuing these other idols. But the good news is that Jesus has offered a way of escape. Then we get down to verse number 57. And we see here these three interactions with these folks. 
And here's what we see in each one of these, is that these three people are okay with following Jesus as long as he's not their first priority. As long as he's not their first priority. The first one says, I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, the creator of the universe was homeless in his own creation. We see here the humility and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Notice the second guy. The next two verses, verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now we would think, Man, this is, this is kind of mean for Jesus not to let him bury his father. But, but here's what happened in this day. What, what was customary was when someone died, they buried them that very same day. And we saw this happen uh, a few chapters ago with a lady burying her son. So, so here's the reality of this situation. The guy's dad is probably not dead yet. Because if he was, he would be there currently actively burying his father. Here's what I think that guy is saying. He's saying, I want to wait until my dad dies and get his inheritance. And then Jesus, once my life is easy and I'm rich, then I'll come follow you. Sound familiar? Interaction number three. These last two verses. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, and we just prayed this. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who looks back. I'm reminded in the Old Testament of, of Lot's wife who looked back. Oh, man, I wish I had that. Boom, pillar of salt. I'm reminded of uh, the Israelites when they're brought out of Egypt and Moses takes them across the Red or right before they go across the Red Sea, they're like, ah, I wish we were back in Egypt. And Moses is like, ah, check this out, bro. Red Sea, boom, splits in two. They get to the other side and they're like, oh man, we're hungry. We still wish we were back in Egypt. It's just crazy. Let's just keep looking back. We do this in our lives, right? We're like, man, I wish I could still go back to college. I wish that I could still, I wish I had taken that job. I wish I had married that person. I wish I had gone over here. But everything is just amazing. And some of us are like, man, I wish I was still living my college days, no responsibility. But go ask your liver. Was college really that awesome? Was it really that amazing? And if you're questioning this principle about putting your hand to the plow and looking in one direction, I would encourage you, try this on the way home today. Look over your shoulder as you drive down the road. The principle is true, okay? Because as soon as your airbag deploys and you see Jesus face to face, you can say, you know what, Jesus? That principle is right. I should have been looking forward. Try this in your marriage. Tell your wife, say, you know what? I want to be married to you, but I'd also like someone else on the side. Or even really small, Try it with two sports teams. Hey, I want to cheer for Georgia and for Georgia Tech. It just doesn't work. The only place that works in our lives is when we have Jesus and something else. That's the only place that we're really okay with that. He says, this is the kingdom. The person who looks forward. Now notice we have here just a hard stop at the end of this chapter. It reminds me of the book of Jonah. God speaks to Jonah, Jonah gets mad, and then boom, the book is over. It's like, what we do? How, how does it end? I don't know. We don't know what happened to Jonah. Is he going to be in heaven? I, I, I don't know. Here, we don't see the response of these folks because I think Luke wants us to respond to this as well. And so for us, we can't just look at this. All right, chapter 10, verse number one. Michael said we were going to be going there next without stopping 
if Christ has called you to follow him, what is your response? How would you respond to this call of Christ? Because I can think back to the chapter just before, chapter 8, in verse number 14, remember the, the, the parable of the different soils. And Jesus says there's a seed that falls on a soil, and as it begins to grow, the thorns choke it out. And when we were back there, like in November, I said, this is us. We're choked out with the cares of the world. And here Jesus is saying, come and follow me. He said, but our obedience is being choked out with success. Our sacrifice is being choked out with entertainment and pleasure. The call to follow Christ is being set to the side so that we can pursue our own kingdom instead of faithfully pursuing the Great Commission. So how have we responded to this call to truly follow Christ, leaving behind comfort, safety, security, success, wealth, control? Here's the reality of what Jesus Christ is saying here. He's saying, you're following a broke, homeless guy who was betrayed and murdered. Great sales pitch, Jesus. Good one. Let's put that on a t-shirt and sell it. But what Jesus is saying is that, well, I'm not going to offer you a fantastic life. It's not going to be, you know, easy peasy. He's saying at the end, and even now, you don't just get a better life, but you get the creator of the universe to be your Abba Father that we just sang about. He says, the treasure that you get is not here on earth. It's not temporary, but it's eternal. You get God himself. He says, this is the best life, though it may not be the easiest life. Then we get to chapter 10. He says, here after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, notice in verse number two, notice how naive Jesus is, okay? And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, what Jesus should have done, I'm not saying Jesus was wrong here, but what he should have done is engineered some sort of long-term plan right? He should have put together a really uh, nice mission statement. He should have said, let me create a leadership pipeline so that we can put you in here so that then we can reach the world. Let me figure out a way to market this so that people really want to believe in me. No. Here's what Jesus is saying here. If we're, we cannot be faithful Christians without being at least stumbling evangelists, some folks are like, man, I'm just going to live, a, live a, a really good life, and somebody's going to come and ask me about how, I, how they should, you know, believe in Jesus because they see something different about my life. And I'll tell you what, that's a really good idea. Look at the context of where we get that from, and as soon as you're put in jail and an earthquake breaks you out, and you go back and you begin responding to the jailer and telling him how to believe in Jesus, then you can take that and make that your life's mission. Until that point... We have the rest of the Bible, which says the mission of God is going to be fulfilled through the people of God. 
Go, therefore, and as you're going, make disciples. It gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that, you know, uh, preach the gospel always. If necessary, lose wor- uh, use words. First of all, you can go read all of his writings. He never said that. Secondly, Jesus said, even if St. Francis did say that, which he didn't, but secondly, Jesus Christ said to use words. He said, so there's gospel proclamation that has to happen. Uh, what if somebody... Uh, what, if, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Welcome to my life. And guess what? You have Google. <laughs> well, that's not a very spiritual preacher. I don't know what to tell you, man. Where do you think I got this sermon, you know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> we must be at least stumbling evangelists. Do we believe that there are hundreds and thousands of people around us that are going to be without the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity? If we believe that, we must be praying for them. We must be going to them. This is the purpose of a life group, is that we would be a lighthouse in every single neighborhood where we live as a church because your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your kids, your family members, your moms and your dads need to hear about Jesus. And he says, go as Sheep among wolves, in the very next verse. You're not going to be loved. You're probably going to be devoured. This is the call to follow Jesus. Then he says in verse number nine, here's the kingdom that you're bringing. He says to go out and heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This kingdom is a kingdom of healing, of hope, of forgiveness, So unless we're like, oh man, the kingdom is just about suffering. Like, this kingdom does not sound good. No, he says everything in this world that we think is good, it's not really that good. My kingdom is about hope. It's about true safety. It's about true security. It's about true peace. It's about true love. Look at verse number 13. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I don't know if he's saying woe like that, like he's saying woe to a horse, like, hey, hold on there, Nelly. But it kind of makes sense, too. He's like saying, stop. He's also saying, watch out. This is a warning to them. Some of us are like, man, why would, why would he tell me to stop? Like, I just want to, I want to keep living my life the way I want to live, and I want to take Jesus along so that he can bless it, right? Listen to your prayer requests. No, this saying, whoa, watch out, stop, it's an act of mercy, It's saying, the building is on fire. Get out. The things that you're pursuing in this world, they're not going to last. Pursue something else. A true friend is one who will tell you that sexual immorality, that anger, that living for the moment, that not loving your family well, that those things are going to lead to destruction. And some of us hate to hear those things. I do. But can I as a friend say, if that is what you are pursuing, it is going to lead to destruction. Woe to you. Those things will condemn you to hell. We get down to verse number 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name, which is pretty awesome. Then he said to them, 
This is Jesus speaking to them. Notice what he's like, yeah, check this out. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's pretty sick for Jesus to say that to you out of their obedience and out of going and healing those and casting out demons. What's, what's crazy is, unbeknownst to the disciples, their ministry of healing and proclamation and casting out demons was shaking up the unseen spiritual world. That's pretty wild. They obeyed. They're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go tell some folks about Jesus. Let's go heal in his name. Let's go point them to the one who they were made to worship. And Jesus is like, yeah, man, that's shaking the gates of hell. We know Genesis 3.15 pretty well. Like we know that as the uh, proto-evangelium. But notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 14. Right before that, this is right after the fall. Jesus says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then right after that, he's talking about Eve, who's going to eventually bear Jesus. And he says, Jesus is going to crush your head. But right here we see, just for a moment, in these couple of verses, that the serpent is not just, he does not have free reign. It's not like he's just, oh man, that day way in the future is going to be bad. No, all along the way, we as the church who are the people of God on the mission of God, as we are pressing into that mission, the enemy's plans are being set back. They're being thwarted through the power of Jesus. Notice what he says there in verse number 20. He says, behold. So he says, yeah, that's pretty awesome, but there's something even better. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. What a great promise. Again, notice the context of them evangelizing the lost. We can't put this on a mug and just live. We have to understand the context of this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. You're like, yeah, but how much better does it get than that? That Satan and Demons are trembling. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, rejoice as you're walking through the heat here with Jesus, as you're marching on to your death, as you're being bombarded by a random religious guy, as crazy demon-possessed guy is jumping out and trying to get you. He says, in the middle of all of that, rejoice. In the middle of life's trials and troubles, he says, rejoice. No matter what happens in life, we have reason to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Amen? I should have heard a few more amens. We have reason to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Amen? amen. That was better. Now, maybe you haven't made very many lists in your time here on earth. Maybe you were uh, in theater and you never really made the list to be part of that play. Um, maybe you never made the list to be part of the choir. Maybe your husband didn't put you on the right reservation list at the right restaurant at your last anniversary. Maybe kids, um, you weren't even put on Santa's you know, good list that he was checking twice. Maybe the only list that you're on this morning is some list where they call you multiple times a day trying to sell you a car warranty, and you're on a list where your inbox is filled with spam. 
Maybe that's you this morning. You're like, man, I've never been put on a good list before. But can I tell you, if you are in Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, you are on his list. And that is reason to rejoice. That is the only list that's going to matter. Verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Here we have a picture of all the Trinity together, which is beautiful. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to these little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He he didn't reveal these uh, great and glorious things to the most religious, to the richest, to the ones who had all their lives together. No, in his grace, he reveals it here to the ones that he calls as little children, these tax collectors, these ones who are messed up, these uneducated fishermen. He says, it's to them that I want to reveal my will. I think about little children. I think about my kids. And I think, do do I respond to the love of the Father in the way that they respond to me? Because if I walk into one of my kids' rooms, and I tell them I love you multiple times during the day, but if I walk in and say, Axel, I love you, buddy. I'm proud of you. You know what Axel doesn't do? He doesn't say, let me ask you this, Dad. What kind of love are you talking about? Is it agape love? Is it phileo love? Is it eros? I really need to understand all the facets of what you're saying before I can walk in and experience the kind of love that you're talking about. And what does it mean that you said, buddy? And the order of your words in this sentence, that wasn't proper English. And can we, can we discuss a few other things? Um, by the way, I really appreciate that, but can I tell you a few things that I want to go to the store and get? Or do we sit in and experience the love of the Father? This morning, as soon as I saw Kingston, he runs up and he wants to give me a kiss on the cheek. And he told me for every single kiss he gives me, I've got to give him one back. That's our deal. <laughs> and believe me, he, he keeps up with those things. And if at night he's like, I gave you three more kisses, Dad, you owe me three. All right, dog. So he's maybe the more, you know, pharisaical of the two. But, but he loves that kind of stuff. He didn't come in and say, you know what, Dad, I messed up at home. I wasn't supposed to do this, but I did, and now I can't approach my father. No, he just comes in with love because he knows that I love him as a little child. Yesterday morning I woke up, uh, or I, I came back home from, a, from an early meeting that I had, and I heard downstairs, I heard both the boys saying, yes, just like that. That's all I heard. Yes. Whoa, yeah, we got it. I didn't even told him I heard this. I thought, man, what a little, you know what Axel told me later? He said, dad, we got the Ford Bronco Raptor. I said, you did. You got a quarter million dollars and you went and bought a Ford Bronco. No, he got it on a video game. But as a little child, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> Now, is he going to think about that for years to come? No. As a little child, he's like, man, this is amazing. Do we look at the love of the Father, and we're just like, man, this is enormous, and this is grand, and this is beautiful, and his word is true, and his grace is amazing, and his mercy is never-ending. Do we want to experience God, the presence of God, or do we just want to know more about him? He says, this was revealed to you as little children. Verse 22, 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In other words, you can't know God without Jesus Christ. Every other belief system in the world breaks down. If at any point, and they all do, if at any point they do not regard Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only way to heaven. It's not God on a mountain and we just got multiple ways to him. The only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. The text message came in this past week. Uh, there was a conversation that I was aware of that, that happened pastorally. And someone said, you know what? I'm, I'm in a really good place right now spiritually. And I don't need to be part of a local church. This person has been part of a local church for a minute. And they were like, yeah, I'm just in a really good place spiritually. That's not what the Bible teaches. The way that we understand the Father is through his Son. And the Son doesn't send us out individually. He sends, it, sends us out at least two by two. And then he calls us into a family as his children, as brothers and sisters. And it is impossible, impossible, friends, for you to be doing well spiritually without the family of God. Verse 23, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He's like a, a little league coach. He's like, I hear he's preaching everybody. He says, okay, disciples, and we make fun of the disciples enough, so I'll try not to. But he gets them over here. He says, all right, all right, guys, y'all ready? Here, let, let, me tell you, let me tell you what this is about. Blessed are your eyes, okay? He says, remember the Old Testament? Yeah. That's about me. Remember those prophecies that we were talking about? There's going to be a guy who's born of a virgin. That, that was me. Remember when, when it says that, that kings are going to want to know this king? That's me. I'm the king of kings. Remember when there's going to be this guy in Isaiah 53 who's going to be sacrificed? That's me. That's where I'm going. I've set my face like flint to Jerusalem. Remember how we had all these prophets in the Old Testament and they were looking forward to this better prophet? That's me. Remember the sacrifice of the perfect lamb in the Old Testament? And it's, it was never enough, but it was looking forward to this perfect lamb whose blood was going to be slain? That's me, guys. That's me. All of these things are pointing to me. To you who have eyes to see, let them see Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. To everyone who has ears to hear, let him lean in and listen up. He says, this is pointing to me. And then in verse 24, this is my plea to you as we ended chapter 9. But notice this. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it. And I would speak this over us this morning, South Point. They desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. We have seen and we have heard Jesus Christ. And now we must consider the cost that we saw right there at the end of chapter 9. My last question for you is this this morning. 
is your source of life and joy in Christ alone? For you, not for someone else, not for your spouse, not for your kids, but is your source of life and joy in Christ alone? Because through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you have been brought into the love of the Father. Or is that source of life coming from somewhere else? It cannot be both. Secondly, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to think of one or two people. We see here, Jesus is saying, your source of life is in Christ and him alone. But guess what? Christianity is not a cul-de-sac where you're right there, you're the house at the end. Woo-hoo-hoo! We made it into the kingdom. Bless them. No, the kingdom of God, we as the people of God are on a thoroughfare. And it's about seven lanes wide. The gospel does not end with us. It does not dead end with us. So I want you to think of one or two people in your life who don't yet know Jesus. And maybe you want to write those names down. Maybe type them in your phone. Maybe text them to your spouse to hold you accountable. Text them to your DNA group, to your life group. Because we see right here, in verse number two, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. This is not an option. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. If we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, he tells us to go. He tells us to pray. He tells us to proclaim the glories of Christ alone. So here's how I want us to pray this morning. I want us to repent before God for disobeying this part of the scriptures. I I know for me, I was thinking this morning, man, what if I was truly experiencing the love of the Father day in and day out? How would my heart and my mind be awakened to the need of those around me? And I was praying this morning for revival in my own heart. That I would have compassion for those around me. That I would be like Jesus going into Samaria, not to show my power and my strength, not to show how uh, I have everything theologically figured out, I can put them in all the right boxes, not how I can stand in front of a group of people and not say um too many times and, and I can, you know, look a certain way and present myself and you can think, oh man, that's, that's leadership. That's, that's good. Good job. Good for you, Michael. Way to build your kingdom. But I thought, what if instead I was consumed with sacrificing myself for those that I don't even like, much less for those I do, for my neighbors, for my kids. So I want us to pray for a minute. And I want us to cry out to God. You can pray silently. You can pray out loud. Chris mentioned a few weeks ago how the Korean church, they they pray out loud together. And that's fine. Guess what? God's real powerful, and he'll hear you. And I think it's real powerful to pray out loud and to hear other voices as well. We're not in this alone. And so I want us to pray and repent to God for not being those laborers who have been called for disobeying but I also want us to pray for those one or two names. And like Chris mentioned a few weeks ago, that we would be praying for opportunity 
to share the good news of Jesus with them, that we'd be praying for courage, that we'd be praying for boldness. So let's just do that now. By yourself right there, I'm going to pray silently, maybe out loud, turn my microphone off and pray out loud if that's okay with you. Join me in praying that the kingdom of God would be made known through us and among us. 